Chad and Jay Mansbridge here, lead pastors of Bayside Church International, based here on the south coast of South Australia. Our great passion as a church is to help people to know Jesus and to demonstrate His love, truth and life in everything that we do. We hope you enjoy today's message. Alrighty, well, hello there, uh, podcast listeners of Bayside Church International, Victor Harbour. This is Chad here. And if you're wondering why I'm directing you personally uh, at the start of this message, it's because I am not at church on a Sunday right now, okay? Uh, What happened on uh, Sunday service uh, on November the 10th, 2019, is our recording failed to work and because it was a message as part of our series, our last but not least series as we head uh, into the end of 2019 and because I had a number of people request it and uh, even on the Sunday say, oh, I'd love to hear that message again. Uh, When we found out that the recording didn't work, I thought, well, I better find time during the week to re-record this message, all right? So right now, you just imagine, I'm sat in my lounge room, I'm looking out the front window, hopefully no one comes in and interrupts me, and uh, I'm speaking just to you. So uh, wherever you are, or however you've come to listen to uh, this message today, hello, this is our Sunday message for the 10th of November, all right? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna open up with uh, the book of Hebrews, that's kind of what we've been looking at in this last but not least series, and uh, I'm gonna read the opening verses there. So. Let's go. This is Hebrews chapter one. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is also superior to theirs. Well, last week I gave you some homework uh, to read through the book of Hebrews. It's something that I believe most people should be able to do in one sitting, and it's great to do that. There are certain books of the Bible that you basically should just sit down and read through, you know, swallow the whole thing whole, do it all in once. And Hebrews uh, is a great book to do that with. It's only 13 chapters, and uh, I did that a couple of weeks back because I just needed a good dose of Jesus one day, you know, and I know that there are certain books in the Bible where if you just sit down and read them, you are going to fill your soul with Jesus. And Hebrews is most certainly one of those. Alongside Romans, uh, it is probably the most detailed treatise, treatise on the gospel and what actually the implications of the gospel are that we have in the scriptures and the implications of Jesus' work for our on our behalf. But unlike Romans, it is a little bit different in that the audience that it was originally written to were specifically Hebrew people. Okay, that's why we call it the book of Hebrews. This uh, is not uh, named after an author, uh, like the books of John, for example, named after an author or Peter, whatever. Okay, it's uh, named after its audience, like Paul's letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, or whatever. However, 
this is not written to a region necessarily, kind of. It's really written to a particular gr ethnic group of people, Jewish people there in the first century. And you really pick that up. As you read the book of Hebrews, it is full of Old Testament lingo and language and motifs and themes and quotes and citations, etc., etc. And that's why right here at the start of the letter, that's why I wanted to uh, read the opening verses here. It says, God spoke to our ancestors in the past, all right? He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to people that have, who have descended from Abraham, who've grown up with the Hebrew Bible, okay? What you and I call the Old Testament. They've grown up with the Hebrew Bible, and these are our ancestors that God spoke to. But now, in the last days, which started there in the first century, in the last days, uh, God has spoken to us by his son and uh, from his son. And that's again one of the reasons I love Hebrews. It's all about Jesus. It talks about Jesus' superiority to many of the Old Testament characters, basically, even the biggest ones like Moses, Melchizedek, okay, Joshua and the angels, etc. etc. But the main thrust and theme of it really is the whole issue of worship. That to me is one of the overarching themes of the book of Hebrews about how to worship God. And essentially, the bulk of the letter is about contrasting two worship systems, okay? We know them basically as the old covenant system of worship and the new covenant system of worship. And so what begins at the start with Jesus being superior to certain characters leads into the idea that Jesus has brought about a superior covenant, all right? He has brought about a superior relationship with God and the whole letter to these first century Hebrew believers in Jesus is, listen, you've been part of the old for a long time, all right? 14 centuries, our ancestors have worshipped God according to one system, but now you've embraced Christ. Don't go back to the old. It's one of the prevailing themes of this. Listen, the new is vastly superior to what we used to have, so don't go back there. And that's one of the, uh, it picks up on that, a, a common motif through the scriptures that we see uh, beginning right back in Genesis, for example, with the story of Lot, okay, when he left Sodom and he was taken out of Sodom and Gomorrah, that region, and God's, uh, God basically brought an end to Sodom. He said, listen, don't turn back, okay, don't go back there. When Moses brought his people out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea and whatever, there was constantly a temptation to go back to Egypt. You know, we want to go back, we want to go back. Oh, surely it was so much better there. And God's like, no, 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 no. Don't go back. You don't belong there anymore, okay? You've had your time. You've come out. I've got something new for you. And so this motif continues with the Hebrew people here in the first century, the people who are getting this letter. Don't go back to the old. Jerusalem, worship at the temple. The old covenant system was great. It's it's the best thing we had for 1,400 years. Sure, it had its problems, you know. God was judging us all the time, etc., etc. But the point is, now that Jesus has come, we've got something way better, so don't go back. And of course, it ends in Hebrews chapter 12 with this great encouragement to say, listen, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's not only the author of our faith, but he's the finisher of our faith. All right. So let's stick with him for that entire ride. Fix your thoughts on him. And as I said last week, that Right there in Hebrews 12, focusing on Jesus, focusing on the new Jerusalem, focusing on the Mount Zion from heaven, okay, focusing on what is vastly superior to the old would have been an awesome place to finish this letter. But he doesn't. 
he writes chapter 13. And it's like a bit of a PS, okay, a bit of a postscript. At the end of this great essay, Hebrews 13 rocks up right at the end when you least expect it. And that is what I've called this series. I've called this series last but not least, okay? These are the final words of the authors of Hebrews. In fact, what you notice, it's kind of subtle, but all the way through Hebrews, it seems to me, this is how I sort of read it, Hebrews is written by a group of people. It's like a team effort all the way through. It's like us, 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 we, 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 okay? Hebrews is written in the key of we. You know, I like to sort of use that phrase. And then here in the final chapter, in chapter 13, the we changes to I. And this is where some people, and I'm one of them, believes that Paul was part of the group that wrote this letter to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He was part of the group that wrote the letter and compiled it and got the essay together. His theology is definitely woven in there, you know. And then right at the end, he writes his own personal greetings. It sounds very much like Paul at the end. So what I'm going to do is we're going to turn now to Hebrews chapter 13, and uh, we're going to have a look at one of life's big issues that are brought about in this final chapter. So I'm going to read almost the whole chapter of Hebrews 13. Hope you are still with me. Can you hear the flicking of my pages there? See, I'm using a, I'm using a real Bible. By the way, as a pastor, let me just tell you, we love nothing more than hearing pages turn on Sundays. So uh, uh, I'm not looking at you, any of you at the moment. So bring your Bible to church. Okay, uh, Hebrews 13, here we go. Verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And that's the verse, by the way, that we focused on last Sunday, the first part of the series where we looked at, last but not least, marriage, a big issue of marriage right there in verse four. Anyway, reading on, verse five. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what can mere mortals do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. After all, we have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. I'm just going to pause right there. Remember, this is what he's doing now is still picking up on the whole theme of the letter. It's like he, he still can't uh, pull himself away from that main theme. He wants to throw in his personal thing at the end to say, listen, our hearts, we are to eat and feed on grace. That is where the strength of our hearts comes from, by eating on, on God's grace, feeding on God's grace. It doesn't come from feeding on the religious system of the old covenant. Those at the tabernacle eat things, okay? They eat and drink. Their confidence is based on their ritual, okay? Our confidence is based on a person called Jesus, okay? <laughs> King Grace. So we are to feed on 
him and not have our confidence in what's happening at the temple. All right. Verse 11. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies were burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. He's continuing that theme again. He's saying, listen, there is a measure of disgrace that we Jewish people, Hebrew people, are experiencing when we follow Jesus. Because in following Jesus, you're basically walking out of the city. Okay, you're out, you're walking out of where, you know, all the cool stuff's happening. Okay, where all the woke people are. Okay, where, where though the who's who of the, the Jewish zoo, okay, are based in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, that's where the temple is. That's where the worship's happening. That's where our whole culture has been based. And yet we are to walk away from that. We are to come outside the city gate. And even if that means facing a social disgrace, okay, we do that proudly because that is what Jesus did for us. And he said, why? Because this city, Jerusalem, uh, the city that we have, the eternal Jerusalem, is an eternal heavenly Jerusalem. This earthly city is not going to endure forever. Okay, And of course, this letter was written before Jerusalem was destroyed through a big civil war that happened uh, in the late 60s and ending in the year 70. And it's kind of an allusion uh, to that um, defeat coming up. Anyway, verse 15. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with outsiders, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. See how the we there just changed to I? There you go. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And everybody said... Amen. And I don't have a crowd here with me to join with me. All right, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to read again because the big issue, the last but not least issue we're looking at today is found in verse 5 and 6, and it has to do with money. Verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me. Keep your lives free from the love of money. You know, one of the most often quoted verses, it's not here, but it's a related text, which sort of uh, just reminds me, uh, think about it, is where it says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And many people, of course, misquote that and say that money is the root of all evil. Okay, that is not true. That is not right. Money is neutral. Money, as I've taught before uh, here at Bayside, money is a tool. Okay, it is a tool in our hand. And like with any tool, if you have a hammer in your hand, you can use that for good purposes 
Or you can use that for bad purposes, all right? You can use money to hurt people. You can whack someone over the head with your hammer, with your tool, or you can use that same tool to build something for someone that blesses and benefits them. And money's like that. Money itself is not evil. Money is neutral. It is what we do with it. It's saying here in this verse, uh, saying here in the, the other verse I'm referencing, that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's the thing that the Hebrews writer says here right at the end. He says, uh, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Now just think about that for a moment. Is the writer of Hebrews here giving an instruction for living that is basically saying, listen, don't aspire to any greater income than what you already have? Is he basically putting a lid on people's uh, earning potential? Is he saying, listen, don't just accept what you have right now. Whatever you've got right now, be content. Don't want any more. Is that what he's saying? And how does that bode with the rest of the scripture and particularly Jewish culture? I mean, the, you know, the Hebrew Jewish people are known for their business acumen, okay, for their entrepreneurial ship. Okay, they have all throughout history. In fact, the, the Bible talks about God giving us the ability to produce wealth. He said that in Deuteronomy before they went into the promised land. Uh, where is it? I think it's in Deuteronomy uh, 8.18. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And in doing that, confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors. Proverbs has a lot to say about money, about earning money honestly, but also about earning a, a good amount of money. I mean, Proverbs finishes with Proverbs 31. It talks about the wife of noble character, okay? One of the things about her is that she's entrepreneurial. She is buying. She is selling. She is making good money. She's not just sitting at home going, well, whatever I've got now, I'm content, okay? I'm not going to go out and try to earn more money. I'm not going to try, try to think of creative ideas to bring income in. For no, no, no. I'm just content. I'm just going to do nothing, okay? No. That is not the thrust and the theme of financial teaching throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man thinks, how can I store up my wealth so that it will benefit my grandkids? All right? I'm not just living life for what I need. I'm not just, you know, Jay and I were... Uh, oh, how do I say this? We were chatting with some people recently who don't have kids, okay? A couple that don't have kids. And I asked them flat out. I'm like, oh, you know, do you mind me asking, how do you, what do you spend your money on? You know, I mean, I've got four kids. I know where most of my money needs to go. What's it like having no kids? What do you spend your money on? And also I was asking, what do you, you know, when you guys uh, bequeath your estate, where's that going to go? And they basically decided, listen, I mean, we, you know, our kids are our dogs, basically. And uh, and they, they have no interest in storing up money for a future generation. They basically work less hours, the worst days of the week. All they want to do is enough to get by on for them for life. Now, listen, that's their decision. That's their call. That's whatever. I'm not making a judgment call on them as people, but I did sit there and, and, and think and listen and go, you know what? This is not God's way. God says a righteous, when well, they don't have kids, so it's a bit, a little bit different for them, but a righteous man builds up wealth for his kids. All right. So there is this, what I'm, what's the point, Chad? Here's what I'm trying to say. The whole thrust of the scripture, well, not the whole thrust, but a major thrust of the scripture in financial dealings has to do with aspiration, being entrepreneurial, okay? Bringing in wealth, producing wealth is seen as a good thing. So when the writer of Hebrews comes and says, listen, be content with what you have. 
Does that mean he is putting a kibosh on all that? Does that mean he is basically squashing any desire for aspiration? Well, I do not see consistency there. And so whenever you don't see consistency in something, you need to have a closer look, all right? Here's what I wanna speak about to you today. When I first was kind of putting together this message, I had a five-point sermon, and then I changed it to a three-point sermon, and then I decided, nah, I'm just gonna go with one point, okay? And here's the one point I wanna make today. If it comes down to the decision between compromising your values and contentment, choose contentment every time. When it comes down to the challenge of compromise or contentment, that is when you choose contentment. That is what I believe this verse, the meaning of this verse is, and here is why I believe that. Verse five says again, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because, why? Because God has said, quote, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, quote, the Lord is my helper, I'll not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Right here, the Hebrew author quotes two Old Testament passages. And whenever, and I've said this to you guys before, whenever you see a New Testament author quote an Old Testament passage, you're meant to imagine it as a hyperlink, all right? Click on that verse. Where does it take you? Have a look at that verse in its original content. Because I read this and I thought, why of all the verses in the scripture about money, of all the verses about God being a provider, you know, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided, or he richly provides us with everything we want for our enjoyment, or whatever, all the verses that there are about God meeting needs and God blessing his people. You know, may the Lord bless you a thousand times, over and over again. The Bible promises great blessing for his people. Of all those verses, why does he choose this one? Why does he choose these two verses that talk about, listen, be content with what you have, because God said, I will never leave you. Well, the amazing thing is, is when you click on that verse and you go back to where it was in its original context, it was spoken by Moses to Joshua in the whole um, take courage. You know, be, uh, Joshua's about to go into the promised lands, Deuteronomy 31, <coughs> and he's saying, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. The context there isn't even money. <laughs> okay. The context there isn't in money. So why does the Hebrew author bring it up? here when he's talking about money. And why does he quote Psalm uh, 118, where it says, the Lord is my helper, I won't be afraid. What will man do to me? What the heck does man have to do to me when I'm fighting the love of money? Why would he quote that scripture? Okay, so in order to understand the thought behind the Hebrew writer, you need to look at these scriptures in their context to understand his Thinking. When he says, be content with what you have, he quotes these two verses. What do they have in common? What are they communicating? Well, this is what you discover. When you look at Deuteronomy 31, where it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. As I said, it's Moses speaking to Joshua at the end of the 40 year wandering in the desert. Moses is about to die. They're on the premises of the promised land. And he's saying to Joshua, listen, when you go into that promised land, there is going to be opposition. <coughs> there are going to be people there that are your enemies, that want to persecute you, that want to see you fail. And one of the things that those enemies are going to do is that they are going to want to make treaties with you, okay? Because you're going to be stronger than them. 
uh, some of them. <clears throat> You're going to want to make treaties with you. And he says to him, listen, the warning was don't make deals with them. Don't make treaties with those people. Their value system are way too different to you. If you listen to them, they will change your value system and cause your hearts to be taken away from the Lord. So don't compromise and make treaties with them because God is with you. He will never leave you and he won't forsake you. In Psalm 118, it's an entire psalm about rejoicing in the midst of enemies. So again, the same thing. The Lord is my helper. <coughs> what can man do to me? The whole psalm there is about rejoicing in the presence of your enemies because God has given you victory. The whole thing starts by saying his love endures forever. His love endures forever. God is my helper. Man can't hurt me. I will look on triumph on my foes. So one of the things that both of those scriptures have in common that seem to be random and have nothing to do with money. One of the things they have in common is that they speak about a defeat over enemies, not being sidetracked, <coughs> not being distracted, of understanding because God is with me, I have victory over the scheming of my enemies. Now, what does that have to do with the Hebrews audience? What does that have to do? What does that context have to do with being content with what you have and therefore not giving in to the love of money? Here's what I believe his thought process is going through. The author of Hebrews is writing to a people, a Jewish people, as you know, in the first century, they've come to Jesus and they are under great pressure to go back to the old ways of worship. They get great pressure from their family, great pressure from their community, great pressure from every support structure they have ever known to go back to old covenant worship back to sacrificing animals, back to worshipping at the temple, to forsake Jesus and turn back to the old. Don't go back, he says. Don't go back. Don't go back. Well, one of the pressures that these Hebrew uh, believers faced was financial pressures. <coughs> one of the ways that synagogues uh, operated in the first century is that they also served as uh, business networking hubs. Okay, so a little bit like, you know, a lot of social groups that when they were originally set up, like the Rotary Club, uh, and uh, some people say that the Freemasons and, and uh, other groups, you know, and societies, or even sporting clubs, you know, you, you meet people in your community, you're part of the local business association, you get to know other businesses, other business people, and so what do you do? Well, you end up doing business with them. Well, synagogue actually served this function in first century Judaism. People were part of synagogue. They were rubbing shoulders with other Jewish business people. And so what happens? Well, you end up doing business with those people. Now, guess what? When you turn to Jesus as a Jewish person, you get kicked out of synagogue. So all your business contacts are gone. And what happens? <coughs> you now not only have social pressure, family pressure, religious pressure, you now have financial pressure to go back to the Jewish, the Old Covenant way of worship so that you can keep the money coming in. Because when you are de-synagogued, okay, when you're kicked out of that business community, bam, your income now takes a hit. What is the Hebrew author saying? He's saying, listen, <clears throat> man cannot hurt you. God is with you. 
as you keep walking on to the promised land, Jesus, remember, is the promised land, okay? You have Jesus. You're in the promised land. Don't make a treaty with those who are not submitted to God. Don't make a treaty with foreign nations who will make you go into idolatry, to a false way to worship. No, 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 Joshua. Listen, God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Don't be tempted to do deals with those who will make you compromise on your values. Psalm 118, what can man do to me? No matter what enemies have tried to get me, I know God is my helper and I can come through this challenge. The Hebrew author is saying this. He's saying, listen, my Hebrew fellow Jewish believers, you are going to be tempted to compromise your values and your beliefs in Jesus. You are going to compromise, be tempted to compromise for the sake of money. So listen, when it comes to compromising your values, or choosing contentment, choose contentment every day of the week. See, these Jewish Christians were in a tribulation. Okay, They were in a time where they were being persecuted from their own kind. Now, it's most likely that this letter was written before Rome started persecuting the Christians, uh, because he does say here in, in Hebrews, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, And that's one of the things we know that Rome did. It killed a lot of Christians, literally shed their blood in the streets. Okay, So that uh, as persecution hasn't started. They are suffering persecution from their own kind, going to prison even, Okay, as we saw here in this last chapter, because their fellow Jewish people were persecuting. There was a lot of insults, mistreatment, prison, property confiscated. Hebrews chapter 10 talks about that. People were denounced by their own community, cut out of synagogues, losing their financial flow, and the temptation upon temptation upon temptation was to go back. Well, right here in the last chapter, he says, listen, don't compromise. Hold on to Jesus. Stay faithful to the new covenant system of worship. Don't go back to the old, even when there is financial pressure involved. Because when you are under financial pressure, when you face fear that if I don't keep that particular group happy, I'll lose their business. If I don't appease that group, if I don't appease that group and fly the same flag that they're flying, I'll lose their business, I'll lose out, money will drop, I won't. No, 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 God is saying, listen, don't form a treaty. Don't, you know, make a, a, an unholy alliance with people who will cause you to compromise your values. When you are faced with that challenge, choose contentment every day of the week. The challenge here is compromising on principles, facing pressure from those with different values. And in that context, he says, be content with what you have. You see, today, how can we find modern application in this? Well, for today, many people, many businesses, many employees in certain situations face this very same pressure. Where on certain modern world issues, if you don't fly a particular colored flag, okay, if you don't declare a certain uh, allegiance to a particular way of thinking. If you don't wear a particular colored ribbon on a certain day of the year, okay, a certain day of the month of the year or whatever, if you don't put your business name on a, on a sheet that says, we stand for this and we make a stand for this, if you say, listen, I don't want to be a part of that, I don't want to fly that flag over my business, people know there is pressure 
by not uh, uh, swearing your allegiance to something that's happening in our world system, there is the pressure and the fear of losing business because of that. And that is literally happening in our society. That's literally happening in our community where certain people express political views or social views or religious views, okay, or just personal views that run counter to the narrative of some. And when those other people hear a narrative different to theirs, they say, listen, we want this person out. We want to cut off their finance, cut off advertising to their business. We're going to give them a bad review on Facebook, okay? We're not going to do business with them because they don't fly this particular flag. They don't get behind this particular cause. It is happening today. And in that challenge, the answer is when there is the challenge to compromise your convictions, the challenge or the victory over that challenge, the choice you need to make is to stay with contentment. You see, all else being equal, I believe the uh, uh, Bible teaching on money is this, make as much money as you like, make as much money as you can. The Bible is not anti-increase, okay? It's not anti-prosperity. It's not anti-entrepreneurship. It is pro these things. This scripture that says, be content with what you have is in the context of compromising your values. No, 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 no. When you face a compromise, you say, listen, I know God's with me. God won't leave me alone. God won't forsake me. What can man do to me? What can you guys do to my business? Because I'm standing up for what I believe is right. From a place of integrity, when that is your foundation, I tell you what, go for your life and produce as much wealth as you can. But when you're faced with the temptation to compromise your values in order to keep bringing in the bucks, then this scripture is for you, my friend. Choose contentment when that challenge faces you. I think that is the most simplest and in-context re uh, rendering or reading of this passage. And that's basically all I've got to say on that issue today. One of the last but not least issues of Hebrews 13 is to make sure you are free from the love of money and live in contentment when you are faced with the challenge of compromise. Because when you're faced with the challenge of compromise, you need to know this. Like Joshua going into the promised land, God said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Trust me, I am your source, not any human system. Like Psalm 18, knowing that God is good forever and even though I have enemies that want to bring my financial life down, I know God is my helper. What can man do to me? My friends, there are many lessons that we've looked at today. One of them is the context of a whole letter. And that's why I encourage you, read Hebrews in one sitting, get the big picture perspective. A second lesson we learn is about uh, questioning why certain biblical references are cited. Why did he quote those two verses in that context? What was he trying to say? I hope you learnt those lessons today. And I hope that today, if you are facing a situation where you are being challenged to compromise on your values and you have a fear that if I, if I go down that track, if I, if I stay true to my values, I'm going to lose dollars for this. Okay, I'm going to lose my place on a, you know, rugby, Australian rugby team, for example. Okay, no, 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 no. I'm not going to compromise my values for the sake of money. I would choose contentment and draw a line in the sand if that's what it takes. Guys, 
Bless you. Thanks for listening. It's been a little strange for me to preach from my couch, uh, but uh, we've gone through and I hope you've been able to listen and this comes out okay. Bless you lots. I'll be back on uh, next Sunday the 17th. Uh, this is uh, yeah, Sunday the 10th recordings on Sunday the 17th. We'll be looking at the third and probably the final part of this last but not least series. Thanks for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed today's message. Remember to check us out at baysidechurch.org.au. And of course, if you're ever in the area, please pop in and say good day.